Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Welcome to the show today. We have an amazing special guest, Holly Vesna. I've known Holly, I don't know how long we've known each other, maybe like five, six Seven, eight years. Seven, eight years? Oh my goodness, I'm terrible yeah. with time. A long, a long time. I think we met at Colorado Product Foundation or, uh, yeah, so I'm sure we met in a lot of different places, but we've always seen each other at these events and you joined as the board member at Colorado Product Foundation where you're at now. You moved throughout your career being in senior product management, director, head of product to now co-founder. That's an interesting journey, but I'm not going to butcher your background in elevator pitch. So please give our listeners a little bit on Holly. Yeah, I am a product person through and through. Started my career about 15 years ago and love being the first product hire. So joining startups, being the first person working with the CEO to help them realize their vision. Lots of challenges there. I feel like I could write a book about that. And now I'm in that role. Well, I'm super excited that you chose to be on the show today. We're, we're very lucky to have you. We have so many interesting top of mind topics to go into, but let's start with that transition. I'd love to hear how has that been going? What have you learned? You've been in the role now for 10 months. Is that right? Yeah. So let's see. In grad school, I was part of Entrepreneurship Club. I learned how to write business plans and always told myself I was going to be a founder. I'm going to build my own company someday. And, you know, I was always waiting for that that thing that, you know, oh, it's time to build a company. And, and that, that never happened. And there was always fear and there was always a reason why it wasn't time. And then this in incredible founder came to me and we talked a little bit about the company he was building and I fell in love with the idea, fell in love with the team and was like, if there was a time, this is it. <laughs> this is the time, Holly. It's really been amazing and it feels so much like an unveiling of who I am and who I've been meant to be. As kind of that first product hire at a, a startup, there's that typical idea of the product person is the CEO of the product. Lots to debate there, but it's kind of true in terms of that really radical ownership you have over mm. the experience that your users have with the product. That transition of moving from radical ownership over the product to radical ownership over the whole experience experience with your customers, your employees, your team, it does translate a lot. There is some interesting stuff I think that happens around imposter syndrome and not knowing if you're really ready for it. I shared a story with a mentor of mine. I was like, I don't really understand what a class nine trademark is. It's like, I don't either. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. I'm not the only person that doesn't understand what a class nine trademark is. That's great. I should have done this, but it's a trademark specific to technology. So it's specific to software. It's not really like a patent or anything. It's trademark, right? And so it's a term, but it's specific to software. You kind of have this idea that you walk into that role and you're like, I should know everything. And you very quickly realize you don't. And it's yeah. really hard. But what's really cool about it from the product perspective is that drive to just continually be learning and like be really curious and, and learn, 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 and be able to be a sponge. And I know I'm thriving as a product person when I'm learning, learning, learning. And so being able to like jump right into that and just be like totally open to the learning process and not have to be the expert has been so cool and, yeah. and just really fantastic. So tell me now, what were your anxieties and fears that kind of prevented you from fully diving into that founder role? early on in your career and then what changed oh man hard question um, i know tell me all your deepest darkest secrets no we're getting vulnerable now we're, let's just dive right in well um, holly i think like a lot of us like i i still 
dude, I struggle with that as well. I'm like, I know you're not alone in that. And so I think your story would be really helpful to hear. Yeah, I think I think it's not specific to product people, but I would definitely guess that it probably aligns more with the product mindset. You are used to kind of being the connector in the company and mm. the connector between all these different departments and you know the answers and you become the expert and you help facilitate things for other people. So when you're put in a position like being a founder, walking into not knowing everything and not getting to be the expert on day one on certain things is really scary. And mm -hmm. for me personally, like the idea that my value and the value that I think I bring to a company is in the product. Like, look at this amazing mm. product I've built. So there's something super vulnerable in founding a company of, am I really producing value? You know, whether or not you know that on day one and like you feel like you have to have the perfect idea. The new founder communities that I'm getting engaged with, it's not about the idea. It's about your willingness to take the risk and go find mm. the idea. So I think that's a big part of it is I really felt like I needed to have this amazing idea and this aha thing and that was going to change the world and i don't think that's necessarily the case yeah and then i think it's essentially like you're using the house money at that point it's mm -hmm. like it, this is your money that you're going to invest your time directly it's very yep. much like in your mind i can see that being built up at least as far as my anxiety goes i have a similar fear like this is all on the line and tell me why that isn't the case Gosh, my co-founders and I talk about this a lot. It's this idea is bigger than us. So when I started working with the team in May and I was just advising from a product perspective, it really became clear that it was like, I am drawn to this because this needs to exist in the world. This is my first time working on a product that is very much just about impact and about being able to help people be their best selves, essentially. And I just felt really drawn to that. And then you also connected with your co-founder. Is it one other person? Is it multiple? Yeah, there are three of us. So my founder and CEO, he is our visionary and had the big, amazing idea. Our other co-founder is responsible for learning and development and training and content and things like that. So I am now on the technology side, which that's been interesting too, is I went from a product leadership role to now a product and technology leadership role. Yeah. So there's a learning curve there too. So much to learn. And that's really just the thing I'm really grateful for is diving headfirst into that. When you dove headfirst, was this something that the three of you ideated on and brought to market? Was this something, like you said, you consulted? Tell me more about the creation of this thing and your involvement in that. My co-founders, they actually formulated the idea, built out the training, thought about what it could be in the world. And then I came on board to help with the technology from an enablement perspective. And then very quickly, I think we all kind of realized how we could do a lot more here, not just bringing this product to life, but also being able to help determine go-to-market strategy, market size, building out content and things like that. It's great. They brought you on and you're listed as a co-founder. Did they have the LLC and then they brought you in? Like, tell me about the logistics there. It became pretty clear to me. I'd been consulting for a couple of months and the technology that we were building, it became very clear to me very quickly that I could add a lot of value on day one. Mm. It was like, oh, these guys really need help and I can really help here. Yeah. Like That's where I really had a lot of confidence in being able to support them and being able to build something amazing. 
when we were having conversations as a team, the founder and I, the first time I met him was like, I was like, I'm going to build my own company someday. And he kind of called me the carpet on it and kind of called me to the rug and was like, listen, this conversation isn't, you know, over. Like, I'd, I'd like to talk yeah. about what a co-founder conversation looks like. And I still remember the day we were having some issues with the technology and getting it across the line. And I remember sitting him down and being like, okay, I'm open to the conversation. <laughs> Let's talk about it. I can help here. So, yeah. That's great. You were kind of consulting, building the tech. Did you guys launch the product before you joined on full time or was this something that was after the fact? No, the product was not launched when I joined. It was designed and we were working on it. So kind of the first thing I did was actually getting the product up and out. So mm. testing it, making sure that it was actually going to work, coming up with the launch plan, getting everybody onboarded, all of that. The first couple of months of what I was doing felt much more project manager-esque because <laughs> it was very much like, here's a beta yeah. team and here's what your test plan looks like. And mm. So I was doing much more of that type of thing than actually product strategy. Yeah, that's incredible. The big anxiety that I have, and I know others share, is that leap, you know, the leap into the unknown. There's financial risk there as well. It sounded like you didn't have to ensue as much financial risk because there was already some sort of a foundation. Were y'all funded or was this pre- Revenue. We've had a really interesting journey that I'm just really, really grateful for. Our CEO started raising a pre-seed at the beginning of last year. We raised a little bit of money that helped get the program running. But most of our team are like senior leaders who are all fractional. And most of them are working for equity. So the mm. amazing outcome of that is that we have really high quality branding. We have really high quality content. We have really high quality training material, but we had, didn't have to put out a bunch of cash for that. A lot of people work for equity, which was really fantastic. And we were able to build really what we have on very, very little in terms of cash. I'm super proud of what we've built and been able to get done without a lot of cash. That's incredible. If you have a, a timeline, I would love to understand from your involvement to product launch what are we looking like? It wasn't years because you've been there for 10 months. So yeah, how long was it? It took us about a month and a half. I walked in, product was designed and the development team was getting ready to do a handover. V1 was essentially kind of already out there. And then it took us about a month to do some beta testing and pushing over stones and buffing yeah. into things before we could get it out. But yeah, we were able to get it out about a month and a half after I joined. Wow. That's awesome. Do you remember your first customer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I've been launching products for so long now. It's like you remember the first user. <laughs> you remember the yeah. one who joins first. And yes. then like you're you're calling your friends and you're like, hey, can you check this thing out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. Yeah. Yep. Tell me a little bit about the product itself. Give me a pitch on that. We really think about our product as both the product and the service. So we have a technology component that helps enable and support the service. So the service, of course, is the idea that everyone deserves someone. Not everyone needs a therapist, but everybody could benefit from a shoulder. So it's just someone to listen to you and talk mm -hmm. about the things that are going on in your life. And we think about it, too, as just kind of like emotional hygiene. Don't drop all your disgusting things that happen to you on top of your wife or best friend or whatever. Like, talk to a shoulder. The technology component is matching, being able to match someone who wants to share with one of our trained providers' shoulders, as well as scheduling and payments and all of that. 
So we built the product initially as a BDC product. So it's fully shored up so anybody can walk in and use it. And then about three months after we launched, we were like, this is probably a B2B play for go to market. So very quickly, it was like, okay, we shifted strategy there to be able to be a B2B. And of course, from the product side, I'm like, wow, I really didn't need to do all those things on the B2C side, but I'm glad they're there. What do you offer for B2B now? Connecting with the shoulder trained individuals. Yeah, we're really excited about being able to offer this type of care, this type of support to people who maybe haven't been able to access this type of emotional support in the past. So if we think about lots of big companies out there do, you know, mental health support and things like that, and they do it as a benefit for big companies, we're really, really expensive. And at mm. certain wage tiers, it just does not make sense to offer a mental health benefit. Basically, we're talking to companies who would love to be able to offer a benefit like this. But again, at salaries that are, you know, between fifty dollars and $70,000 a year, it might not make sense for you to have... Mm. A hundred or two hundred dollar benefit every month because our offering is non-clinical. We can offer it at a much lower rate, and people have access now to someone skilled and confidential that they can share, you know, whatever it is they're going through with that person. Wow, we can definitely dive into a whole bunch of other questions on standing things up, but I want to pivot the conversation a little bit yeah. about product leadership and trade-offs. Trade-offs in product strategy. Where do we want to invest our time and energy, especially as a leader, just to give us a sense of the organization? Do you have PMs and engineers reporting to you directly now? And then if so, what does that organization look like? Not yet. So I've worked in lots of different flavors of companies where you have big teams, little teams. Right now, stage of company we're at, I'm everything. So Yeah, everything. I'm your, you know, exactly. I'm your, you know, CPO all the way down to your product analyst looking at data all the way to, you know, IT. So I don't really have any product people on my team right now. But what's been really great and interesting about this journey in particular is that the product decisions I'm making are made with my co-founders now. So the three of us really mm. sit down representing different sides of the business and we say, does it make sense for us to build this or this? And mm. who are we really? Does it make sense for us to focus on creating dynamic, amazing experiences? Or do we need to make sure that we have such a solid scheduling piece of functionality in our software that that's what we need to focus on? One of the things I think about a lot, because our demographic is totally totally different between shoulder and share in that a login. Logging in, man, is just so hard for people. And as someone who's worked in PM for a long time, thinking about the login experience is not where I want to be. <laughs> I don't want to spend a bunch of cycles on login, but it's probably where I need to focus my time because it's where users mm. are having the most friction. I mean, if people can't log into your product, they're hollows. So even though it doesn't excite either of my co-founders or me, it's where we're going to spend our time because it's probably the most important part of our product to get right, especially right now and especially for our demographic. The two types of strategies you're juggling right now, a growth strategy versus a net new feature strategy. Yeah, I, I, I'd even consider it like sizzle versus functionality. Is it, it. <laughs> is it yeah, like, sure. at what point do you get to add the features that get you really excited and get you really pumped versus the features that you have to build the table? Yeah. Oh, that's a great one. Is that a binary choice? for you all, I'm assuming because it's a team of poly, but in terms of development resources, are those things that you can work on in parallel or stagger, or is it very much like one or the other for a, a period of time? We have to make a decision. Philosophically, how I think about building product is I like to 
try and do a little bit of both, right? Mm -hmm. Users get bored fast. It's this fine line where it's you can't introduce fr friction, can't create friction, but you also need to be able to improve on the experience. It's that, again, that fine line of like, okay, how do I make the experience better while also not introducing new layers of friction? So if you're going to introduce new features or new functionality that might introduce friction, then you're also going to have to be able to like in lockstep, like be able to develop those things that are going to delight people at the same time as developing things that might add a little bit more friction for people. So it's being able to have that balance of like tech debt versus new features. And sometimes it's math, but being able to do a little bit of both is, is great. Yeah. In the past, there's a few scenarios where we had a redesign that just takes forever and it never gets prioritized because it's not this net new feature opportunity that we can go pursue. It's more of a different experience, which it just depends on how, how much opportunity there is in improving that experience as well, right? Like I, I've seen two different approaches where it's like this big buildup where we invest a lot of time into this refresh versus this iterative approach where you might take one component and make that look good and then the next thing and then make this experience part of the experience better. And so it's like more iterative over time. I feel like it depends on the scale of company too, but you kind of go through each one of those challenges, right? Yeah, I read something really interesting recently and that I'm pulling from the example of the company I was at before, Shoulder, where we really needed to implement this program around user permissions, groups and things like that. We needed to restructure the whole thing. And we knew mm. it was massive and we knew it was going to be hard and we knew it was going to be a slog. And nobody really wanted to do it. Like nobody could get fired up about, you know, redoing this permission structuring and like being able to implement it. And I remember, you know, engineers weren't excited about it. I wasn't excited about it. Nobody was really excited about it. We yeah. knew it was going to take months. You really, really do yourself and your users a disservice by putting that stuff off. I think it's really easy sometimes as product people to go for the low hanging fruit and it's like, oh, I can, you know, make everybody happy if I add a button here or if I, you know, do this thing that, that low hanging fruit makes mm -hmm. us feel good, right? The dopamine. Sure. Um, but the longer you put off the things that you really need to do, the really hard, the functional stuff that doesn't really see it, the harder and harder it gets to do it. So sometimes it's being able to allocate some time towards those hard things while you're releasing some of those more fun things it keeps everybody motivated and keeps everybody working but it is a trade-off for sure yeah did you say you were neurodivergent as well oh yeah <laughs> i thought that's what we talked about okay of course me being neurodivergent forgetting that we said these things there we go well this is fun i mean we have so many overlaps of, of traits here that i would, would love to dive into you are also a mom of an eight-year-old boy. Just one kid, is that right? Two, actually. So Two kids, eight, okay. Almost yeah. eight and almost five. Yep, yep. Oh my goodness, Boy yeah. and a girl, yeah. Oh, that's great. So two kids, you're neurodivergent, you're obsessed with product, and you're amazing at startups and, and zero to one and all this kind of stuff. So similarities here between the two of us. Tell me how that's impacted your career just throughout the 15 years. Like, is this something that you got diagnosed with late in life? Oh, my gosh. Like a lot of us in our generation, I didn't get my diagnosis until we got our diagnosis for our son. I, I don't know. I feel like this will resonate for a lot of people who are neurodivergent. I was knew I was a little bit different. Like, you know, I just think differently. I always excelled in school, so I didn't really worry about it. My parents didn't really worry about it. But we knew very early with our son, he was two, three, very, mm. very intelligent, very intelligent and just off compared to his peers. Like he had cousins and stuff that were the same age mm. and 
friends that were the same age and we just saw really different behaviors with our son. So we started going down the path of his diagnosis and as we're doing research, both my husband and I are like, oh, we should probably that's too. And very quickly, my husband was diagnosed and I was diagnosed. And, really? Um, wow. Okay. You both were. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. 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 Because it's, so it's, you know, it's genetic, of course, they're seeing yeah, all these right. mis- predispositions and things. And of course, now it's crazy to look back and I still find mm. things with my brain where I'm like, oh, that's why my brain is doing that. Like, oh. That's why I'm thinking about four things at the same time. Oh, get it now. Yeah, I'm almost positive one of my daughters has it, if not both. But one of those things when I think I got diagnosed maybe two or three years ago, again, terrible with time. So don't judge me on that. To your point, like you just had answers for the way things kind of worked in the past, maybe things that didn't turn out the way you wanted or the way that you reacted or your brain worked in a certain situation. You're like, oh, that's why. So to me, that's fine. That's a lot of peace that I have mentally to like understand that. And it was both a little frustrating and also a little bit relieving, right? It was like, man, if I would have known. And which is, is so much better now that we can help our kids, you know, on a better path, at least with the understanding of it, right? And how, it, how the brain operates, you can treat it differently. There's so many ways to approach it as well. And it, it makes sense. It, it's so funny when I hear so many other product managers are mm-hmm. in very similar camps. And, and I think this career attracts a lot of that type of brain yeah. because it's very highly intelligent people that are being very creative. They're chasing dopamine hits like yourself, Holly, a team of one that's hyper-focus. doing absolutely <laughs> everything. Yeah, exactly. The hyper focus and deep. There's so many interesting things that just draws you towards this career in product. To me, it's like we found our people, not just in product management, but in this as well. It's an amazing kind of feeling to have and know that, you know, you're not alone in those kind of things. I feel like that was something that I can't had that realization when we met and, and a lot of us got together in that Colorado product foundation where it was just mm-hmm. like, this is our people. Like, yeah. Yep, yep, we got it. Yeah, these are the folks. And so that's great, though. I hope that that realization has like helped you, like understanding these are the things. This is how the brain works. And then how has that been a superpower for you now being a founder? Yeah, I mean, I'm able to process a lot at the same time. Again, these are things that you don't know aren't normal. <laughs> I'm able to take in inputs from lots of different places when I'm making product decisions. I'm not only thinking about that one piece of feedback I got from that one user or that one customer. I'm thinking about, okay, how is this going to impact engineering? How is this going to impact sales? How is this going to impact this? What about that other customer that said that other thing? So I'm able to very, very quickly collate and, and analyze all of that data and all of those inputs. Again, not realizing that that was not normal. <laughs> But I think that, you know, it's definitely a superpower and product to be able to just process a lot more very quickly. And then that that ability to hyper focus, you know, when you're working for startups and you're working for a small company, you are a team of one. And oftentimes I find myself the designer, the QA, you know, sometimes the engineer, like sometimes you're doing all of those things and being able to hyper focus and be able to sit down and just kick stuff out is Mm -hmm. awesome and i'll get done with a big design on a big you know a a form lots of inputs and different things and lots of complexities and again like you feel so good about it you're like yes i did it it took me two hours but it's done i think that's really a strength of being neurodivergent Mm -hmm. in product yeah Yeah, now you know i'm gonna ask you the converse now so (laughs) yeah where have you struggled with it what are the challenges that kind of come along with it i 
I didn't really understand what it meant to be someone that was chasing dopamine until I started reading about it. In coaching and working with teams of product people, I'm hyper aware of the idea that if I'm not learning, it's over. If I've learned all the things I need to know about an industry, if I've learned all the things I need to know about my product, like I am uninterested. <laughs> so I know I need to be constantly chasing new ideas, new thinking, new books, new things to read, new things to experience. If I get bored, it's over because I know that about myself. If I start getting bored with a part of a product or if I start getting bored with a certain part of my work or something like that, like, okay, we're going to task shift. We're going to work on something else. I actually shared this with my co-founder the other day. It's like, you know, if I get stuck and I, I'm stuck and I'm in the mud and I can't get something done, I will turn around and I'll go into HubSpot and I'll go enter data <laughs> just to get that dopamine, right? Like just to, just to, okay, I entered this record. I entered this email. I did this thing. Yeah. It's being able to yeah, work with in. your brain. So it's a, yeah. Those things that now, you know, you're, I love the optimistic approach here where it's like, yeah, now those are triggers to a different behavior that maybe you didn't know existed. You didn't know yep. that you had that secret ability so but. totally i'm still learning about all the little things too like i apparently have a soundtrack to my life which i i did not know i like people are like holly you're so funny because when you're working and you're doing stuff you make all these sounds <laughs> Ding, donk. you know like i have sounds and a soundtrack to my life and i am now realizing like you know when i'm working i love having music on like you know some good 80s mm. or you know all j or something but I need to know the music. It's really important that I know the music because it's music I don't know. And I don't know why it's my brain is really trying to listen to the music. I don't know. It's trying to listen and learn it. Sure, and like every yeah, now and again, I'll find a note. And I'm just distracting. like, and it'll distract me. But I can mm -hmm. hyper focus really fast. That's music I know. It's interesting. I, I love that. Yeah, I feel the same way. I used to be in a jazz band. So the Dave Brubeck Quartet had this really amazing take five album. I always use that that's my go-to so that really gets my brain going but that's fun I love it. you said I alt j it. what are yeah, 80s and alt j those are yours yeah oh yeah i love music i'm you know yeah. my team every team i've worked with knows that holly has soundtrack <laughs> friday yeah. soundtrack monday soundtrack. Really? Oh, <laughs> well so you did mention until i started reading about it and so tell me what books were you reading to get you some more context information about this gosh oh man in terms of just around neurodivergence i don't think i was really reading a lot of books necessarily more articles oh, and, sure. and things like that podcasts things like that that but you I, recommend or publications online or podcasts in particular gosh not really yeah. i i'd have to go and look I, just, this, is, this is again the ADHD oh, yeah. thing. it's like yep. in the moment like i'll have to go go back and reference this oh, is why paid yeah. slack is really important if you don't have paid slack it's like oh it's gone. <laughs> 90 days. Mm -hmm. My record mm -hmm. of my brain. It's gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely leverage the notes app on Apple because oh, yeah. it's like a repository of your brain. I can just do the search function and find, oh, this person. Yeah. Here it is. And then it's like that recall. So I love that as a tool. Oh, totally. Command that shift, man. <laughs> right. Tell me, are there any kind of unique hacks now that you know that this is something and, and that you kind of stood up in your life to be a little bit more productive or something that has worked with your brain a little bit more? I mean, here's the crazy thing. Kevin, I didn't even know they were hacks. And this is like, Absolutely. until you get that diagnosis, you're like, you know, you just think that's how you are. And that's how everyone is. 
everyone's doing their thing. Mm -hmm. And there are so many of those just little things that I, I do to try and help set myself up for success. There are things I know that definitely don't work and don't help. Oh gosh, any of the endless scroll tools like TikTok or Instagram or things like that, it's over. I will just heat up scroll, 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 scroll. And those are the downfall things, like anything that's going to mm. demand just a little bit of attention, give you a little bit of dopamine on an ongoing basis is a problem. Mm. Yeah, just being able to task shift when I can feel that I'm starting to get bored is really important. Sometimes it's as simple for me as if I know I need to do something and I'm not feeling it, like I'll just walk downstairs and go get a cup of coffee, just a little bit of caffeine to kind of yeah, kickstart little... dopamine, mm. things like that. That seem just really like, again, everybody's doing this, right? When I start getting bored, it's maybe it being able to say, I might have three or four things going on at the same time, something big and strategic and hard that I need to be working on. And then I might have a bunch of other little tasks that I can do. And it's like, okay, what's going to make the most sense for where my brain's at right now? <laughs> there. Oh, nope. There. Okay. There. You know, so it's being able to make sure the task aligns with kind of where I'm at that day or you know in that time gosh i'm trying to think what else and it's being able like you said to just make sure that you're keeping the information you need where it needs to be sticky notes everywhere right in my office on my desktop mm -hmm. sticky notes everywhere and then being able to like go back through the sticky notes throw the ones away that you don't need things like that are, are mm. really helpful. And I schedule time, frankly. Like if there are things that I need to do, I schedule it. I put it in my calendar to get it done. I don't think this is a hack. I think this is this is probably a bad thing, but I feel like every neurodivergent person will really relate to this, especially if you're in tech. I have probably 20 to 25 browser tabs open in probably three different browsers my computer at any given time. It's literally like, okay, I'm bored. <laughs> what am I going to land on? Oh, yeah, this now. <laughs> I'm going to go look at that stigma. I'm going to go look at this thing. It's being able to follow the dopamine where it takes you and really listening to what it is your mind and your body really want to do. Love that. Yeah, there's a lot of things that definitely experience. It's funny. I actually have a question for you. Maybe this will spark some something here. How many to-do lists or variations of tools of to-do lists have you tried in your life? That is such just a mean question. Technology person. It's like, what's your favorite product? Oh God, where do I get started? Well, so maybe so I'll ask you now, <laughs> where is your to-do list today? And is it centralized? Nope, definitely not centralized. It's all over the place. Let's mm. see. So we've got sticky notes, of course. Yep. Those are good. Mm -hmm. Sticky notes on the computer as well. Then also the okay. Apple Notes. And then also Trello. And then also Reminders. Yeah. Reminders too. And then too. also Google Calendar. Google Calendar. Check. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I've, I've used so many different tools to help me with this. And yeah. at the end of the day, it's just like, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to land. Actually, I mean, the whiteboard, usually if I put it on the whiteboard, it gets done. Whiteboard's pretty good bet. Ooh. Ooh, I, like I think because I write it and there's a, yeah. oh man, a good amount of dopamine from from being able to erase it Ooh. it's the like being able to erase it from the whiteboard oh, there you go that I like feels that. really good mm. yeah 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 i've got i've developed my own to-do tool in google sheets that is nice too <laughs> way way too sophisticated but gives you those dopamine hits you can you can use like the prioritization scoring in it which is terrible There's my product <laughs> but then but then that what you just said I also use notes. I also use calendar. 
So what's the point of having one consolidate? I don't know. It's a, it's a, yeah, anyway, that's fun. Yeah. Well, there, there's gotta be some, some idea there, but that freshness and newness of having those notifications in different places for different types of things and being able to, uh, yeah, if you get bored seeing that one list over and over again, looking at the other one, you know, kind of like there's something there that I think is interesting, but it's very I difficult. Totally. But yeah, I definitely use like the calendar. That, trick that list, too. oh, for sure. That list has the things I don't want to do on it. So I'm going to look at the other list. <laughs> it's been a delight chatting with you. Let's give some homework to our listeners based on our conversation. This is something that they can tangibly take from our conversation and put into practice. If we can recall everything, let's do our best. I'll, <laughs> I'll give it one shot. I think the concept that I pulled from your story of becoming a founder and your struggles with starting a venture on your own, I got from it that it takes the right group of people with the right kind of complementary skill sets to really make something like this happen. It creates that accountability for you. You also have that cushion of safety because you're going into it with people. It's not just you. And you have these strengths. You, you mentioned like these guys really need what I have to offer, that missing puzzle piece. Your story really resonated with me there. So I would encourage as a technical piece of homework is if you don't know what your puzzle piece shape looks like, start to think through that, write it out, see what that looks like. Where have you looked? In the past of your career and found that really worked. That really worked well for me. That really worked well for the situation. And what were the traits of that situation? Who was involved? What were their traits? How did that fill out the piece of the puzzle there? Reflect on it. I think that will really help you in not just your career, but psychologically, I think it will really help you as well. So Holly, what do you have? Oh, I love that. I think that is so good. What's your superpower as a product person? We talk a lot about living in our genius, conscious leadership, living your genius. I would encourage people to same thing is reflect on what are the things that give you energy? Next to it is like, what are the things that you work on on a day-to-day -day basis that make you feel really good and you actually have energy after you're done working on them as opposed to the things that you just kind of like, oh man, you down the day and you're exhausted because um, mm -hmm. that's another good indicator in terms of are you living in your genius are you not holly where can our listeners find you i'm on linkedin i am also working on my writing i've been for a long time and like back when it was really cool to have a blog i had a blog i've been getting back into that i'm on medium i have a few things published there i'm gonna be writing a, a bunch more here in the next year oh it's exciting we'll look out for that and when you're ready to publish your book you just let us know and we'll have you back on <laughs> sounds good thank you so much holly for joining it looks like we finished up our coffee so go level up this has been product coffee Produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover. And who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.